Welcome to the KPMG Financial Reporting Podcast Series, delivering fresh insights and perspectives around major accounting and financial reporting developments across a range of timely topics. We thank you for joining today. Hello, I'm John Barbagallo, a Managing Director at KPMG, and in today's episode, I have the pleasure of discussing research and development arrangements with one of our KPMG Department of Professional Practice partners, Nick Bergmeier. Nick works closely with our audit engagement teams and clients on issues relating to business combinations, consolidations, and revenue recognition, and I'm happy to have him here with me today. Okay, Nick, so let's kick off today's podcast with some background on R&D to just help us level set. So tell us, what exactly is R&D? Thanks, John. So research and development are both actually defined in the codification, but let me just try to paraphrase it a little bit here. So research would be the plan search or investigation to discover new knowledge that is used to develop or improve a product or process. And then development is translation of those research findings or other knowledge into the plan or design to create the new product or significantly improve an existing product or process. Now, I think a lot of people, you know, probably have visions of scientists and lab coats developing new formulas or technology and all that stuff definitely probably qualifies for R&D. But taking a step back and thinking about our companies and their businesses, R&D really is oftentimes it's the lifeblood of the company, right? It's the way they innovate and find and develop new products and services for their customers. Thanks, Nick. So, you know, as I think about certain types of activities that would fit into you know, the definitions of research and development, I feel like it may not always be clear if a certain type of activity is uh, research and development. So tell us what types of activities are and are not R&D. Yeah, that's a fair point, John. The research and development, it's a pretty broad definition, right? So at least one tension point, which can be a bit confusing, is often, you know, when does R&D stop? When are these similar activities no longer R&D and maybe more like maintaining an asset? I think the way that I generally try to cut it is activities that are needed to create or commercialize a product. When I say commercialize, I mean, you know, actually make sales of a product. Maybe those types of activities often can be R&D. But after that commercialization, even though the activities may be similar, those items may be more of like a cost of sales or selling general and administrative activity. Let me give you a few examples of what I'm talking about. So lab research aimed at discovering something, a new product or knowledge, that's R&D. But the engineering work needed, you know, after a new product is being produced, that's not. Again, remember, that's something that's done after the new product is produced. Now, testing or evaluating a new product or process that would be research and development, but then a routine or ongoing maintenance and troubleshooting of an existing product might be similar activities, might be certain things that are done by scientists, but those activities, because they're done after the product is developed, is not R&D. You know, another common one is market research. The term research there is a little confusing, right? But that's things like doing research on customer preferences research, but it's not aimed at creating a new product. So those types of items may be more of marketing expense versus research and development. Yeah, thanks, Nick. Very helpful. So it sounds like you'd have to really take a closer look at what's actually going on 
with the activity before you make a determination of whether or not it is or is not uh, an R&D activity. So let's get into the accounting. So how does a company account for research and development activities? So the accounting guidance for R&D costs is quite old. So it's in the codification. It's in subtopic 73010. So if you hear me refer to that, but it actually originated in FASB Statement 2 back in 1974. So long before I was born anyway. And really the main question and the main thing that Subtopic 73010 or the old FASB statement too is trying to address is can you capitalize R&D costs? And the answer to that is generally is going to be no. So R&D costs, so the cost of all these activities we're talking about, there are expenses incurred. So it may be your personnel, so your payroll costs for the scientists, maybe some of the fees in a contractual arrangement, maybe you hire a research organization to provide you services related to R&D or maybe even allocation of overhead for R&D activities. Maybe it's the use of a lab, uh, depreciation expense for a lab. That would be amortizing expenses to R&D. Now, while there's no capitalization of internal costs, you might say, well, gee, I'm pretty sure I heard software companies capitalizing costs, and that's because they have special guidance. They're actually scoped out of the, the guidance I'm referring to, of 73010. And you're right, software costs can be capitalized if they meet certain criteria under those standards. For example, costs of software developed for sale are capitalized after meeting the technological feasibility threshold. Important to know there's no such threshold in 73010 on R&D costs. So whether or not the project is technologically feasible or not, doesn't matter. You're going to expense those costs as incurred. Now, what is a bit trickier is when a company purchases assets to be used in R&D activities. So... You might purchase a tangible asset. Maybe it's a computer to be used in R&D activities. You might purchase an intangible asset. It might be the technology that's being developed. It might be a license. It could be considered the R&D project, a molecule, a patent. Those intangible purchases, you know, we often refer to those as IPR&D. Well, the accounting for both tangible and intangible purchases depend on whether they're a business combination, in which case they're accounting for under the business combination guidance, recognized as an asset measured at fair value, or not in a business combination. If it's not in a business combination, you would capitalize those costs, but only if they have an alternative future use. Now, if they do not have an alternative future use, they are considered R&D and they are expensed as incurred. So you might license the rights to a new drug compound that's in development and doesn't have alternative future use. You might pay big money. That just means you're gonna have a big expense up front. Yeah, interesting. So, well, number, first of all, thanks for clarifying. You weren't around for uh, FASB Statement 2. And and uh, just please clarify for us, um, you know, alternative use, right? So you said that a few different times. What exactly does alternative future use mean? Yeah, so again, this is around the accounting for purchased assets to be used in R&D. High level, it's whether or not the asset can be used outside of the current R&D projects. Maybe a bit more specific whether the entity reasonably expects to use the asset in an alternative manner, and then that asset can be used in its alternative manner in the condition it's in at the acquisition date. Now, your purchase of intangible assets, those often do have an alternative future use. Again, my example of purchasing a computer that a scientist is going to use in R&D, that computer has a generic use. It could be used by accountants. It could be used by scientists. So it has a use and value outside of R&D activities, so something like that can be capitalized. Now, intangible assets are a bit of a trickier evaluation, so 
oftentimes what we see in practice, if you typically, if you purchase that IPRD asset, maybe it's the rights to the new drug compound or technology and development, they wouldn't have alternative future use and again, result in kind of a big expense. But, you know, some intangible assets could have an alternative future use. It's typically when it's underlying technology that could be used maybe in uh, across multiple projects, not just the current project that's underway. Yeah, thanks, Nick. So let's expand the conversation just a bit. You know, you often hear about R&D funding arrangements, right? So what is an R&D funding arrangement and why do companies enter into them? Yeah, so this is a, you're right, it's a bit of a shift in the conversation from just kind of the R&D activities to now R&D funding arrangements, which those are arrangements that are used to finance the R&D. And it could be for anything really, but oftentimes you see it to finance technology, a new pharma product, or even like aerospace equipment. So R&D funding arrangements, they do take, they could take a lot of different forms, but in its most simplistic form, the entity with the R&D project, for example, maybe it's a biotech, receives money from an investor to partially or wholly fund a project. Now, the biotech's going to retain their rights to the underlying IP associated with the project. And then the contract with the investors, you know, probably contemplates repayment, but it may not guarantee repayment. You know, putting that into an example, so the biotech receives cash and only repays the investor you know, a milestone fee upon achieving regulatory approval, or maybe they only pay them, you know, a, a contingent future royalty stream based on the success of that project. Yeah, interesting. So it sounds like there's a financing component within these transactions. So what is the accounting model for these transactions? Yeah, John, that's right. And that's why these arrangements are really tough to evaluate. And at a high level, what we're trying to do in the accounting evaluation and what the accounting standards are trying to do is figure out the substance of the arrangement. So is this R&D funding arrangement, is it a borrowing? Or is the company basically providing R&D to another party? So borrowing or service is how I kind of like to, to cut it. So there's some guidance uh, in the codification of subtopic 73020 on R&D funding arrangements. Again, something that's pretty old. I'm a couple years older than this one, but it's old FADS <laughs> 68 on R&D funding. That helps you try to distinguish between whether the arrangement is a borrowing or or not. But really, you have to think a little bit more broadly. You actually have to navigate several other accounting standards first before uh, you get into that guidance on 730.20. But by the way, all of the different items we're going to talk about uh, really are trying to focus on whether the obligation or the arrangement is some sort of borrowing or you know financial liability versus not um, the first one you have to figure out if the r d funding arrangement is a derivative instrument in the scope of topic 815 if it is you would recognize a, a liability at fair value and mark to market that liability if it's not a derivative uh, you may need to first evaluate whether the arrangement is a sale of future revenue in the scope of topic 470. And if you find yourself in the scope of that, that's typically going to mean that the arrangement should be accounted for as debt. But if you're not in the scope of either of those standards, then that's when you get into our R&D funding guidance in the scope of 73020. Uh, but Again, I really want to stress the importance of first looking at those other standards before you go right to the R&D funding guidance. 
you do make it into 73020 on R&D funding, uh, again, that standard's trying to figure out if it's the arrangement is a borrowing or you're providing an R&D service for others. The standard says it's the arrangement is a borrowing unless there's a substantive and genuine transfer of R&D risk to the investor. So what does that mean? Well, basically it means that repayment to that investor depends solely on the success of the project. Said differently, the entity receiving funding would repay the amount in the event that the project is unsuccessful, there would not be a transfer of R&D risk. And what makes these so tricky is investors don't want to take on risk, right? So they try to build in protections in these arrangements so that risk isn't all transferred. And if that is, right, uh, it would be a borrowing. Very simple example would be if the contract requires repayment. Well, that would be a borrowing. But even if the contract doesn't require repayment, the accounting standard makes you actually look and try to figure out if it's probable the company would repay regardless of the success. So even if the contract doesn't explicitly contemplate it, you have to try to figure out whether it's probable they would repay regardless of the arrangement. And there's a bunch of factors to consider that would indicate it's probable. For example, related party transactions typically would kind of create a presumption that repayment is probable. But once you work your way through that, if you have a borrowing, you follow a debt model. If not a borrowing, you evaluate whether it's a revenue arrangement. And then if not, typically companies will account for these payments as an offset to R&D expense. Yeah, Nick, very helpful. Uh, thanks a lot. So one last thing, I heard you say today that you know there are several different accounting models, which some of which are pretty old. So tell us about standard setting and what the FASB has on its plate regarding R&D and R&D arrangements. Sure, so I mean, there's nothing explicitly that you're gonna see on the FASB's technical agenda that would relate to either of these, but they are always evaluating internally developed intangible assets and whether or not they need to take on a project to address the accounting for those. And if they do, that would fundamentally change the accounting for research and development costs because those are really the cost of developing an internally generated intangible asset. It's always on their research agenda. So far, they haven't actually added anything, but you know, it could happen. So something to keep an eye on. Uh, recently, they did just actually drop a project on asset acquisition versus business combination accounting, which had the potential to address some of the different accounting for purchase IPR&D we discussed earlier. But again, they dropped that project. So we're going to continue to have differences between purchased IPR&D and an asset acquisition and business combination. And then you know, R&D really does continue to be a big part of business activities in our economy. So uh, the FASB does and will continue to evaluate whether standard setting is required. Yeah, Nick, thanks a lot. I was kind of surprised they did drop that project. It was the phase three of the, uh, of the business combination projects, but kind of surprised they dropped it, but uh, they did. So Nick, thank you very much for spending time chatting with us today. Uh, it was great to get the overview of research and development arrangements. And I certainly look forward to speaking with you again on future podcasts. Thanks again. Thank you for listening to this KPMG Financial Reporting Podcast. For more in-depth financial reporting developments, analysis, and podcast episodes, please visit frb.kpmg.us and be sure to subscribe today. Also, we're social. You can also follow us on LinkedIn at KPMG Financial Reporting View or with hashtag KPMGFRV.